how's your heart doing? How are you really doing? Now, I'm not talking, when I ask you about your heart, I'm not talking about that organ that's pumping blood through your body. I'm talking about that compass of your life that feeds your soul, guides your decisions, your will, your emotions. How is your heart these days? What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? You've got experience, education, talents, finances. What are you doing with what God has given you? Because there is going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day where the Lord himself is going to ask you to give an account of what you did with what he gave you. The experiences, the relationships, the opportunities he's put before you. And are you going to are you going to say, well, I, I thought you were kidding about that. I thought those were just stories in the Bible. Is there really going to be a day of reckoning? Is God really going to reward or punish those who he's created? Is that really going to happen? Well, if you've got any question in your mind, you want to make sure your Bible is open to Matthew 25. Jesus has made it crystal clear. Matthew chapter 25, he is going to return and he actually tells his people, this is how I want you to live was you wait for me. I'm coming back. I am giving evil an opportunity to run its full course. At the same time, I am redeeming every single person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am drawing them to myself. And there is a particular way that I want you to live. Just like the parable of the talents, whatever I have given you, much or little, I expect and intend that through my spirit, you make the most of the opportunity. And that's pretty sobering words because I'm standing up here and I'm looking at a lot of folks that got like, like you're like five talent people. I'm feeling okay because I'm like a one talent person. But you have much gift, much opportunity. And the Lord intends to do much through you. But if there's any question in your mind about what is at the heart of God and will he truly judge? Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. He's going to give you an inside look at a future reality. And so let's just pick it up here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Here we see the judgment that occurs with the return of the king. Look at this. Jesus is talking to his men. This is his last major discourse here before the cross. But when the son of man comes in his glory, Jesus always kept referring to himself as the son of man, identifying with humanity because he is Fully man and fully God. And son of man is a messianic title. And so he kept calling himself, I'm the son of man, the son of man. But he says, the son of man is going to come in his glory. Right now they saw Jesus and he's wearing these old garments. He looks very poor and people mistreat him and abuse him. And and there are conspiracies out to kill him. He looks just like like a Jewish rabbi, some sort of shepherd. He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to come in my glory. You will see me for who I really am. And he says, the son of man is going to come in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. And as soon as he starts saying this, immediately in the minds of the disciples, they're thinking of Daniel chapter seven. Remember in verses 13 and 14, where it says Daniel had these visions. He says, I kept looking the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. Listen to this. 
glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away and his kingdom will not be destroyed. They're thinking of this image because Messiah will come and he's going to reign and he's going to display himself in his full splendor and with every angel at his beck and call. I mean, this is going to be far more than we could even imagine. How glorious, how powerful this scene is. And notice he is coming and he's going to sit on his glorious throne and he's going to do something. Look at verse 32. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Okay, let's think. When is this going to happen? When the Son of Man returns in his glorious return, when is that going to happen? That happens, Revelation 19. This is actually right before Revelation 20, where you see this thousand-year reign of Christ. He is going to come back. That means that the church, the people who believe in Christ at present time, they're going to be raptured. They will be taken away. They will be spared from this seven-year period of tribulation that's going to occur on the earth. But during that seven-year period of time, that's in a future event... There will be people that are going to come to Christ. They're going to believe in him, both Jews and Gentiles. And there is going to be then this judgment of the nations, as it is called. But it's really a judgment of each individual at that time. But this judgment gives us keen insight to the heart of God and what matters to him. And so this judgment is going to take place and there's going to literally separate sheep from goats. And that's how it happened. And even today, sheep and goats are out there together. And what happens is one of the shepherds, they start running these sheep and goats through a chute where only one can fit in and they got a gate. And so the sheep go to the right. And so they open that gate and the sheep goes on to this side. And then he's got here comes a goat. So he flips that gate around and then and then that, from that chute, then the goats go in and there's going to be a separation. At this point, it's a parable but for everything else from this. This is prophetic. This is a picture, a glimpse of what is to come. And so there's going to be this great separation. He's going to have sheep and goats and they're going to be separated. And there's going to be a clear mark of demarcation. Remember in Psalm 110, verse 1, one of the most commonly quoted psalms in the New Testament. And it says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When's that going to happen? It's going to happen now in this scene. And so. Here we have this scene. There is this great division. And so he begins to those on his right. Look at this. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right. Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, I've actually underlined this in my text, and I, and I, I want you to carefully look at it. One thing you want to do is make sure that the Bible shapes your theology. What you believe about God, heaven, hell, salvation, let the scriptures shape it, not what you think. Well, I think it should be where it'd be more fair if God would do it this way. So that's what I'm going to believe. No, we absolutely believe in the authority of scripture. We are completely submitted to God and we yield and follow his word. Look what the text says. Who is going to make entrance into his kingdom? This this kingdom that is truly going to physically be set up on the earth. The king will say to those who are on the right, who are on the right? Sheep. Just think about that, right? The sheep are on the right. Okay. Come, you who are blessed of my father, 
You see the word inherit, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. First of all, who how do you inherit something? How many of you think you're earning your inheritance? No. Inheritance is someone some, inheritance is something that is given to you because you are part of the family. It is passed on from generation to generation. And you and I will inherit salvation, inherit the kingdom. We can't earn it. There is nothing that we can do. It's as if Jesus fully understands that most people are going to think you earn your way to heaven. That God is going to weigh the good versus the bad. And you did a lot of good things. I think they'll let you in. I like good people like you. And that's totally not how it's going to be. It is something that you inherit. You have to be born into his family. You have to truly experience a second birth, a new birth, a spiritual birth where you believe that Christ is Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe and the one and only savior from your sins. You turn from your sin and you trust in Christ. And that is the only way that you can make entrance into his family. And you inherit it. You don't earn it. No matter how good you are or how bad. It's a matter of faith. Are you trusting in Christ and will you inherit? And he says, inherit the kingdom prepared Now, look at this. Verse 34. Some of you, you're going to find that your theology is going to be rattled by what Jesus has to say. What does he say? It was prepared for you from when was your text say? From the foundation of the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second here. Jesus, Jesus is saying that he has prepared from the foundation of the world. Those who are going to inherit and be a part of his kingdom. It's really interesting. That's exactly what Paul says. Remember in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When you think about salvation, yes, we respond by faith, but the Bible is crystal clear. It is God who is at work in your heart and it is God who has worked at before the foundation of the world, preparing a place and preparing a people for that place to be in the kingdom. I'll tell you what, man, that that is just glorious. It takes all the pressure off when you think of salvation, that God was thinking of you before the foundation of the world. That leads to utter praise and worship like we just had. Hallelujah. He says, you inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he's going to start spelling out the fruit that comes from the root of. That is in Christ. He starts then talking about what does it look like for someone who truly knows Christ, who is going to inherit this kingdom from the foundation of the world. He says, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in and naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me. You see, Jesus starts just spilling out things that, I mean, they're, they're not huge things. Some of you wouldn't say, that's not even a big thing. You, someone thirsty, you give them a drink of water, right? I was a stranger. You, you invited me in. You, I, was, I was naked. You, you gave me some clothes. I was sick. You, you visited me. I was in prison. You, you came to me. And they're like, okay, how, how, when, did, when did we see you? King of glory, when did we see you in any of these conditions? And then they asked this question. 
And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Verse 39. When did we see you sick or in prison or, or, or come to you? And when did that when did that happen? I mean, I, I'm glad you noticed these things, but I didn't notice these things in me. Uh, what's going on here? Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, my people. My children, even the least of them, you did it to me. And they're just going, whoa. And it's, it's going to start sinking in. This is a truth that, that God has tried to make crystal clear in the scriptures. Christ is the head. Those who truly believe in him are a part of his body. We're a part of his family. And that to actually Love Christ is to love his people and to love his people is to love Christ. It's just like you can't sever your head from your body. I mean, it's lethal if you try it. So please don't. Okay, you can't do it because they're vitally connected. And so it is. Jesus is vitally connected and united with his people. And when you gave just a drink or a cup of water or to one of his people or visit them when they were sick or they were in prison when you're in prison. Uh, the judicial system there didn't provide you meals. If you're going to live, you better have a friend outside of prison. If you were a stranger, you could be isolated or abused. And Jesus says, to the extent that you did it to just one of those, one of my people. You did it to me. Now, there, that word, he actually says brothers there. Do you see that um, in verse 40 there. Truly, I say to the extent that you did this one of these brothers of mine. There's a lot of discussion as who these brothers are. Uh, contextually, from the Gospel of Matthew, brothers are almost always referring to the disciples. OK, those who believe in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean like, oh, OK, so all they do have to do is care for believers as far as I think they're believers and everybody else. I could ignore them. Well, actually, Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is what I want you to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul and mind. Remember that? Matthew 22. He says, and the second is like it. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to love the lost as well as the saved. But this text specifically is making, bringing a focus. I want you to care for my people, even the little things. And notice in verse 37, it's the righteous. You see that? Then the righteous are going to answer. They are right with God because God has declared them so. But they're also right. They're righteous because God is doing his work through their life. You see, when you place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in your life. You actually are united with him. Like he talks about Ephesians chapter three, verse 17, that Christ dwells in your heart by faith. That is why our church's mission statement is to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. As we focus on Christ, we fully yield our life to him. Christ lives out his life through us and we demonstrate his character to the people we come in contact with. However imperfect that may be, that is God's intention, that he is going to display his character through his people, his love through our lives. And that's exactly what he, they're being evaluated on. He said, this was me and you did it for me. Let me give you a text. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, what? It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. You are saved by what? By God's grace. He actually gave you the faith to believe. And he says, 
It wasn't a result of your good works. It wasn't a result that you gave someone a cup of water, you went and visited someone in a prison. No, that is a manifestation of the fact that you believe. Those works in themselves do not bring about salvation. In fact, they actually reveal that you have salvation. And then the very next verse, verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the Christian life. Saved by grace, living out the life of Christ, going about doing good works. If you are a Christian, God intends to do good works through you. Making disciples, caring, doing the very things that he is speaking of right here. This should be the normal Christian life. And so Jesus brings this to their attention. And there are huge needs out there, by the way. I mean, like one in seven people, you know, right now, one in seven people don't have enough to eat. I just want you to think about that. Okay, there are nine million people a year that die from hunger related causes. Did you know that one point two billion people in the world spend four to five hours going and just collecting water and the water they collect is full of all sorts of parasites and bacteria makes their kids sick. but it's all they've got. So the needs are great in the world, but the needs are great even in our own community and their needs are even in the church. Fellow believers. And we're meant to care, to extend love. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is how it works. I am living out my life through my people. And the things that you're not even thinking about, I remember. I notice. In fact, I can't forget. Remember, uh, remember this? You, you tell me if you can tell me where this comes from. I'll start reading it. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Anybody know where this is? James. That's right. Chapter. Two. All right. Very good. And then in verse 17, he says this. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Faith, if it has no works, is dead because faith always leads to action. It moves you. The righteous live by faith. We're not only saved by faith, but we live by faith. We make strides in this world and we do so by faith. Where John says this, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And, you know, it doesn't take a real special talent a real special gift to show an act of kindness to someone. You don't have to be exceptionally gifted. You don't have to have a master's education to be able to, I think I could actually show someone love, encourage them, bring them a cup of water, visit them when they're sick, or go to the prison. All you have to do is have a heart that loves. And that's what God gives us. He takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh that beats after him. There is something in you now because of the spirit of God that wants to care for others. And you got this mask that you put on and you got the shell of a life that you've used to live. And it's always pulling you. Just stay back. Hold out in the shadows. Don't extend yourself. It's don't get messed up with that. Just keep moving. You're going to miss the football game if you talk with that person. Blah, 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 blah. And God says, I want to transform you from the inside out. And Jesus is saying, guess what? These are the things I'm looking for. See. You know, just like wool comes from the back of sheep, 
so does love come from the lives of those who believe. However imperfect that is, that's what it looks like. You see, the king is going to remember even the little acts that you've forgotten. You know, it's the love of our neighbor. That's really what breaks us out of the self-centered life. If you're all about you, you're very myopic. It's all, you're always thinking life from the orientation of how does this affect me and how do I feel about this? God is inviting you to trust Jesus and to start to see life and people from his perspective. And that will start breaking you out of your self-centeredness. And then you will really live. If you're a self-centered individual, I know you're miserable. And you really know. Okay? And yet you keep going on these patterns. Oh, it's all about me. God wants to emancipate you from your self-centeredness. And he does so as we just fully yield our lives to Christ. Well, those are the folks on the right, man. They're like, whoa. I did, I did this? Wow, this is real. And they enter into the joy of the master. They go into the kingdom. But remember, there are some folks on the left. He doesn't, the sheep and goats, that's how he introduced this. But he's just telling this is how it's going to be. There are those on the left. Look at verse 41. And then he will say, also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones. Into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus says, hell, this eternal fire, this, this was actually prepared for the devil and the angels. The Bible never says that God predestines people to hell. That he created people just to destroy them. Because he does not ever say that. In fact, Jesus makes this crystal clear that they are going to a place that was actually prepared for devil, the devil, Satan, and those who followed him and his angels, otherwise known as demons. But because their heart never trusted Christ, they thought this old Jesus stuff, eh, that's a bunch of, eh, I'll pass on that. Or they actually acted like Christians but never really put their faith in Christ. There's no, like, middle ground, okay? You're either on one side or the other, and he says, notice this. This is really interesting. He doesn't say, you're major sinners, you're adulterers and murderers and you killed people and you're mean to children. or He actually starts listing the things that are like called the sins of omission, what you fail to do. You should have done it. And notice what he says. Verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me and I was naked and you did not clothe me. I sick in prison. You did not visit me. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Then they themselves will also answer and they'll say, Lord, when, when did we see you? Okay, now they're seeing Christ in all his glory. And like, well, certainly if we would have saw you, I mean, like the majesty, obviously your Lord and king of the universe. I know people right now are like, oh, I'm not sure if I can believe that Jesus is really God or he's the Lord of the universe or he's the savior from sins. And there's, there's people that run around with that kind of rhetoric. Let me assure you, there will be no questions when Christ reveals himself. That will be like, no, obvious. Come on now. And they're going to say, well, if we would have saw you, we would have done those things. And they're asking this. Look at this. He'll he'll say, listen, when when do we see you? Lord, verse 44, when do you see you? Hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Because, boy, let me tell you, one thing we would have done is if we would have saw you like you really are. 
why we would have shown up. And Jesus said simply, verse 45, then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. You didn't love my people because you didn't love me. And then he says, these will go away into eternal. When does eternity end? It doesn't. This is not temporal. He says eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternity is at stake. The question is, what will your eternity really be like? Did Jesus really believe in hell? Burning flames? I thought that was all. That's just a myth. Not with Jesus. He's telling it like it is. Think of the opportunity that you have right now to just fully just trust in Christ. Like, I see. I see the judgment. I see the beauty of the Savior. I want Christ and to believe in him. And so it is. Here are these people, and they will face this judgment. They did not love his people because they didn't love Christ. Remember when Saul was in Acts chapter 9, he's making his way to Damascus, and Saul was going to persecute Christians, you know, have them bound up, hauled to Jerusalem, watch them get killed. You know, typical day's work for a guy who just hates Christ and is making a living out of it. Remember? The Lord himself, Jesus, says, all right, game over. We're going to reorient your life. We're going to start off with you being blinded. And remember, when he gets knocked down and he's making his way to Damascus, remember what Jesus said? Jesus asked him, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my people, me. You see, when you mess with my people, you're messing with me. When you disrespect them, you disregard them, when you abuse them, when you kill them. When you lock them up like it's happening in, in North Korea and you take all their family members, you are dealing with me and these are my people and one day I will hold you into account. You see, they're judged on even their lack of deeds, not even just the heinous sins. We think, oh, they're going to hell because they did something really, really bad. Maybe they did, but maybe they didn't. Maybe they just didn't care about his people. Does God, does the little things matter to God? I thought it was just the big things. No. Even the very little things matter to God. And friends, eternity's at stake. John 3.16 is probably the most famous Bible verse. Some of you are like, I've heard this so many times, I don't even pay attention to it anymore. But I want you to hear it in, in light of what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. The call of scripture is believe and believe while you've got opportunity. Now is the time. Trust him, believe in him, and your eternity is secure. And it is joy. I mean, it's not like, well, I just will get a golden harp and it'll get kind of boring eating grapes. or anything. No. It'll be unending joy and worship because you'll be in the presence of Christ. You'll be more alive then than you are now. And so the call of this passage is to believe in Christ and to remember this. The little things, they matter to God. You know, I was kind of thinking about this. 
wow, God thinks about the little things. So oftentimes I'm thinking about the big things. Like, boy, if we could do this as a family, or if our church could take this step, wow, the big things, right? But it's the little things. It's kind of like, you know, like God may very well say, you know, remember that day in class? You had another appointment, but there was that gal in the back, and she seemed to be like totally out of it. Maybe I don't know, she's crying or she's got serious allergies. She lives in Texas or something. I don't know. And you, you decided that you, you just go back and check on her. And remember she told you that her mom died and that her sister died two months before that? And you talked to her and encouraged her? Uh, I'm not sure if I remember that. God says, I did. I remember that. I, oh, I never forget that. Um, you remember... Remember when your spouse told you about that couple in the church? And, man, they were totally struggling finances. He had lost his job. They, they didn't have much money to start with. And, and you guys decided that you'd give them some money. You put it in an envelope. And remember, you dropped it off anonymously. Uh, yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. God says, I, I remember that. You remember, uh, remember when uh, your church, Fellowship Bible Church, really got involved with these folks in India. And they're, like, totally poor. They're outside the caste system, man. They have, their life's are extremely difficult. And there was an opportunity for a dollar a day to like, like provide meal, food, and an education and little clothes and a backpack for that kid. And you like, you know, as a family, let's do it. And it was like celebrating. You started praying for this and for this kid. And, and you remember that? Yeah, I can remember that. God is going to say, I've never forgotten that. Enter into the kingdom. Not because those good deeds get you into the kingdom. Those good deeds reveal that you are part of of the kingdom because you're a child of the king. Remember remember when you provided a meal for that single mom or that, that grieving lady? You just like, I don't really hardly know him, but I'll, I'll do it. I remember. Remember when you, you had an opportunity to visit that person in the hospital? You didn't really even know him. But you're like, you know what? I, I, I want to go. Because the Spirit of God is prompting you to do so. And he did. God says, I, I will not forget. Remember when the youth group kept saying, hey, we're going to my brother's keeper, just like they're doing tonight? like, oh, man, homeless people, and I'm going to spend time with them. I think I'd rather watch the uh, closing events of the Olympics. I think maybe that's what I want to do. But, you know, the Spirit of God said, you know, that text, that got to me. I, the Spirit's prompting me. I, I think I'm going to go. I'll give it a shot. I mean, what's there to lose? And I'm a little scared, but I'll go. God says, I will never forget. Remember when you went to the juvenile prison? And you were like totally afraid of these kids that are incarcerated. They're in their little orange and white uniforms. They got their hands behind their back and they got the guard at the door. And you were scared spitless. But you told them about Jesus and his love. You gave them hope. You prayed with them. God says, I will never forget. Friends, the call of this passage is let's think biblically about the present and the future. God wants to develop loving lifestyles of generosity and grace in our life. And you know how it gets started? It gets started with just the little things. Yeah, that's great. If you want to do something big and huge, man, I'm for you. I'm going to pray with you. I'll stand with you. But he wants to cultivate a lifestyle of day in, day out, just the little things that reflect his love. And it just comes by just giving yourself to God and say, Lord, do your work through me. Might be washing a dish, helping your spouse, praying with your kids. Doing something next to the person next to you. You sit by people all the time. There's a hurting heart in every row. In some of these rows, multiple ones. A kind word, a prayer. Hey, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. We've got all these college kids that are going to be coming in here, probably starting next week. 
not be afraid of them, not like they're dressed a little differently, but to just go and engage them. The love of Christ and action. And so we develop a lifestyle by just trusting Christ and asking for his spirit to move within us. You know, every week in the in our bulletin, we have this section called reaching out. We have all these needs, anything from helping provide a meal to we need some men because sometimes we have some older people in our church and they just need something little done. And we'd like to be able to call someone versus like, oh, who do we call and just say, hey, put me on the list. We we need van drivers. We need some folks for just a hospitality team to provide coffee and just a warm environment. There are always the opportunities, and these things matter to God. You see, the little things lead to greater things that lead to a generous, gracious life, and that's what God intends. You know, we got a lot of gracious people in our church, by the way. You know how that all gets started? It gets started with the little things. And our reputation is going out. Just even last night, uh, I was at this dinner thing. A guy doesn't even go to our church. He referenced one of our doctors, and he told me about how it's evident that this man has a faith in Christ just based upon him watching him. How cool is that? When I was putting on my microphone this morning, I watched one of our ladies uh, go and just kiss the forehead of another one of our ladies. And I'm like, whoa, just a little bit of love goes a long ways. You see, even the little things reveal the great things. That Christ is doing in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. With clarity, you spell it out. A judgment that is to come. For those of us who believe we will not face that particular judgment, and yet we realize this is what you evaluate. You're looking for the little things. In fact, you never forget them. So, Father, may this be a reality. Help us today be thinking of just little things we can do to share your love and your life. Would you do your work through us? Manifest your work in our heart. May we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing we're loved and saved by grace. We inherit a kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world, and you've called us to be the light of the world while we're here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.